All right, well, let's take our Bibles go to James this evening. James chapter 1 is where we will be. Now, we began looking at this last Wednesday and uh, for our Wednesday evening Bible studies. But last Wednesday is more of an introduction, all right? We hadn't really dove into the book per se just yet. So I uh, just kind of went over introduction of who was the writer. Of course, that's James, the Lord's brother. And to whom was he writing to? This will be the scattered believers that uh, be under great persecution. But, uh, and the why he was writing it, really to instruct these believers and to encourage them in their everyday life in the aftermath of being scattered uh, due to the persecution, all right? So as we come back to it this evening, keep all that in mind, but as we come back to it this evening, we're going to dive right into the very first few verses of this chapter and of this book together. And we're going to read the first four verses, and then we'll jump right into the message, all right? So look at it with me, James chapter 1, and look at verse number 1. The Bible says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Our fathers, we look to the word of God this evening. I pray that you'd help us to focus in. Maybe we've had some uh, rough days on the job or just some rough times at home or whatever it may be that may be a distraction today. But help us in this moment not be distracted, but simply to hone into the word and so that you can do a work in our hearts and lives. We love you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we read these first few verses here in the book of James, in the chapter 1 here, it's really an um, interesting way to start off a letter, okay? And you say, what do you mean by that? Well, it's like Pastor James is saying this. He's, our, he's saying this, all right. Hey, this is uh, Pastor James from Jerusalem, and here's what uh, I want you to know, and here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to consider. You ready? Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Meaning, consider it a joyful thing when you encounter different and difficult trials. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I don't normally start letters that way. When I text somebody, email somebody, that's not how I start out. But that's how Pastor James starts out. He says, look, consider it a joyful thing. When you encounter different difficult trials, consider it a glad thing when you find yourself on various proving grounds. It's really an interesting introductory statement. But understand, Pastor James, he knows what's going on. He knows what these people are going through. He knows the trials of their faith. He knows the persecution that they are enduring and suffering. After all, he did address them as the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad. He knew these Jewish people were dispersed throughout the country. He knew what was going on. He knew what they were going through. And knowing what they were going through, he says this. Listen, I know it's tough, but count it all joy. <laughs> Now, for him to say this, uh, some, some folks would think that Pastor James here, well, he's a little bit crazy. And uh, I'll be the first to tell you, if you're going to be a pastor, you've got to be just a little bit crazy, all right? 
But uh, maybe they thought he was just a little crazy for saying this, but uh, that's not why he said it. Others may think he said it, well, because he was a little bit cold and heartless, didn't really care for these people. That's not why he said it either. I believe Pastor James cared for these people dearly, loved them, loved them immensely. So why did Pastor James, knowing what they were going through, the persecution they were enduring and facing, why would he dare say to count it all joy for this one word? You ready? Perspective. I believe he's trying to give these precious saints of God a new perspective on their present trials of life, a new perspective on their trial of faith that they were going through. I don't know about you, but when I see people going through it, um, when I see people suffering or struggling, I, I hate it. I do. I don't like to see people hurting. I don't like to see people going through the ringer. I've even uh, tried to encourage people even recently who've been really going through some deep trials. I'm talking about stuff that you and I would never, listen, never want to go through or wish on anybody. But people have gone through some diverse temptations even recently. And in those moments and in those times when people are really going through it, they have more questions than answers. A lot of times in those moments, questions like these come up in the meeting or in counseling or just in conversation. They'll say, Pastor, why am I going through this? They'll say, Preacher, what have I done to deserve this trial? It's difficult. I've had someone recently even tell me this or ask me this rather. Does God hate me? And in those moments, your hearts break for them and words fail to explain and encourage and explain to them the situation. But inevitably, inevitably what, what they're asking is this, why is bad things happening to me? And some people ask this question, why do bad things happen to good people? And uh, these questions get asked a lot and maybe you've, You've asked that question yourself, or maybe at least thought it, and I'll be the first one to raise my hand. I have. Why do things happen like this? I've asked that question even myself. And if you've asked that question, understand you're not alone. There are even people in Scripture who have asked that question. There are people even outside these doors who have asked that question time and time again. I read recently even of a, a Barna poll that was taken a little time back, but the poll was this. It was the question that it was this. In that poll, the question was this. If you could ask God one question and you knew he would give you the answer, what question would you ask him? And the most common answer to this poll was this one. Why is there pain and suffering in the world? People want to know why they go through what they go through. People want to know why they endure these uh, diverse temptations. Temptations here, by the way, just so you know, is not a temptation to sin. We're talking about trials and difficulties, those kind of things. But they want to know why. Even the characters in Scripture, the, the psalmist said this in Psalm 6 and verse 3 through 10. He says, My soul is also sore vexed, but thou, O Lord, how long? He's asking the question. How long am I going to go through this? Why am I facing this? He says, return, O Lord, deliver my soul. O save me for thy mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of thee. In the grave who shall give thee thanks? 
I am weary with my groaning. All the night make I my bed to swim. I water my couch with my tears. Mine eyes consume because of grief. It waxeth old because of all mine enemies. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. The Lord hath heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord hath heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all mine enemies be ashamed and sore vexed. Let them return and be ashamed suddenly. Now the psalmist here, of course, we know is David. But he's asking this question. As he's going through great pain, and he, he said vex, which means torture. He felt like he's been tortured. Going through it, he said, how long? Why? Listen, there's others we could look at Scripture that ask the same question. So like good godly people, we would consider them at least. And they ask the question, why am I going through, through this? And of course, when types, these types of questions are asked, it's when people are going through deep waters, great trouble, horrific anguish, confusion, heartache. And maybe Pastor James here in James chapter 1, maybe he's getting those same questions. Maybe he's getting those same questions ringing in his ears from the people he wants to minister to for those that are part of the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad, those Jewish believers early on here in this, this uh, early church. And as Bible-believing Christians understand, we have a biblical worldview. And when we have those questions, we still know that God is good. We still know that our God is love, and we know that God doesn't just go around making all the bad things to happen, yet sometimes it can be a little bit difficult to reconcile what we see in the world, such as the acts of violence, the evil hatred of people, crimes against innocent people, including children, seeing the natural disasters, sickness, disease, and so much more. It's everywhere in every culture, on every continent in this world. There's no escaping the things that happen, but it can be hard to reconcile those bad things we would consider them at least in this world with what we know to be true about God, how God is, listen, how God is love, good and kind and merciful and gracious and forgiving and patient and tender, compassionate and so much more. How He's a Savior, how He's Lord, He's King, He's ruler, He's sovereign, He's God. Again, so much more. We know this to be true about our great God, yet we know the world in which we live, there's so much heartache and pain, and even for believers. Because here in our text, that's what's going on. These dear, precious brethren, believers, are suffering so much. And before I go any further, I want you to know something, though, okay? I don't want to paint it so, at the very beginning, so bleak, all right? <laughs> know this. That though there is great heartache and pain that we can endure and face even the days that we have even today, understand one day it will all be made right. The Bible says this in Revelation 21, verse number 1, I saw a new heaven. John writing, the apostle John, I saw a new heaven and new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city. New Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death. Listen to these verses. Listen to these words. No more death. 
neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Understand, one day God's going to make it all okay. He's going to make everything new. It will be perfect. And so no wonder John, the apostle, as he has had the privilege of seeing this in a vision, as he's penning the, the, the inspired word of God there in the book of Revelation, no wonder when he saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down, that later on he would say these words, Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, because he knew of the pain and agony and heartache and of evil men who, who grow who grow evil and, and more evil each and every day. He, he knew about all of that, but he knew that someday, one day, God is going to fix it all and make everything whole again. Yet today, still, the question remains, why do bad things happen? And why do good people seem to suffer? And I'll be honest with you. You want your pastor to be honest, don't you? All right, two of you, good, Okay. I'll be honest with you, that question's a hard one to answer. It's a hard question to answer because some of the answers that you give, listen, they fall short. And sometimes they're not sufficient enough. For the grief and heartache that is inside the individual asking the question, it can be a hard one to, to answer. So I don't know if the answers will be good enough for such a tough question, but here's what I do want to do. At least as I look at James chapter 1 here in the, verse, the first few verses, I would like to see at least Pastor James's perspective on the matter, all right? On this suffering that they're going through, on this diverse temptations that they're enduring, these different trials and difficulties and troubles that they're facing, as he tries to give a perspective and before we look at that perspective, I want to take consideration two truths, really in the form of questions. And truth number one is this one. First off, where does evil come from? You've got to answer that. Again, this helps in, in aiding in our understanding of the perspective. Okay, well, Where does evil come from? Or I can say it this way. Why does evil exist even in the first place? Now, in the question that folks have asked over the years, if God is good, then why is there evil? That question can, understand, it can point an accusing finger at God. Accusing Him for sin, accusing Him for the evil, accusing Him for all the bad things in the world. But I want you to understand from the very get-go to help form your perspective on these trials of faith and trials of life, I want you to know from the very, the very first thing, the very get-go, that God is not the author of evil. All right? He is not the author of evil. Now, there may be some who would say that He is. And guess what? Everybody has the right to be wrong, and they'd be wrong. All right? God is not the author of evil. Please understand, God did not create sin. He did not create anything with the intention of you falling or failing. No, when he created everything in the beginning, the Bible says this in Genesis 1:31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. He said everything was good. Not just good, very good. Therefore, there was no evil in that moment. There was no sin. Everything was good, but that all changed one day in Genesis chapter 3. You can see that in the first six verses when the Bible says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, 
which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and did eat. And gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Understand, it was the devil that brought the temptation in that moment in the garden, and it plunged mankind into sin. The devil is the source behind all evil. He is, after all, the evil one. And Jesus made that very plain and clear when he prayed that high priestly prayer in John chapter 17 when he said this in verse 15. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from the evil. Understand when Jesus was praying here, he was not praying for his disciples to be kept from evil as in a general sense, but rather from the evil in a specific sense. And that the evil specifically he's praying about is none other than the evil one, Satan himself. Listen, evil comes from the devil. It comes from Satan. John chapter 8 verse 44, He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. Evil comes from the devil. Please know that. Please know that. So when things do happen, bad things happen in our life, please can I encourage you, don't put and point an accusing finger in the face of God. Please. Evil comes from the devil. So since God doesn't make bad things happen, then there's another question to consider. Again, painting this pers- the perspective that James is going to give us here in a minute. And since he doesn't make bad things happen, then why does God allow it? Okay. I've heard that question too. And maybe you've asked that question or at least heard it as well. But let me answer that question with the question if I can, Okay. If everything in your life was, uh, was perfect, um, your health, your finances, your relationships, your job, your whatever, fill in the blank. <laughs> if everything was perfect and right in your life, let me ask you this. Would you ever seek after God? I'd probably answer it for you. And the answer would probably be no. Probably not. If you have if you had everything you ever needed and didn't need the Lord at all, would you ever seek Him? I don't know. Probably not. You see, in our time of hurt and trouble and pain, the devil wants this. He wants to take that trial that has come against you and make it look as if God has done it and as if God is not good and God does not care about you, and yet God wants to take that same trouble, that same trial, And in his infinite wisdom, take that and prove that he is good. And prove that he does love us. And prove that he does have compassion and so much more. Take, for instance, the life of Job. (laughs) Now, we know about Job, right? You might have read the book of Job in the Bible. If you haven't, you need to, all right? Especially if you're going through some trials in your life. Read the book of Job. But Job says this in Job 1, in verse 6 through 12. 
There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? There is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God, escheweth evil. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made a hedge about him and about his house and all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands. And his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that, is, that he hath is in thy power and upon, only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Now, understand Satan wanted to use the evil to get Job in this moment that he's about to do to get Job to curse God, to blame God and to believe God does not care about him. But this backfired on the devil. As it always does in Job chapter 1, verse 20 through 22, Then Job arose, rent his mantle, shaved his head, fell down upon the ground in worship. Said, Naked came out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this, all that Job went through of losing his finances, his family, and even his physical health, everything that he went through, and all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. But Satan's not done. He always comes back. You know what? That old rascal. I really do hate the devil. I do. But he, came, he comes back for a second time and says this in Job chapter 1. I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 1. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said to Satan, as thou considered my servant in Job, there is none like him in the earth, a perfect, upright man, one that feareth God, skeweth evil, and still he holdeth fast his integrity. Although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin. Yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life, but put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand to save his life. So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with, with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. He took with him a potsherd and scraped himself with awe, and he sat down among the ashes. But here's the answer that Job gave yet again. Really going through the anger. In Job chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thy integrity? Curse God and die. But he, that's Job, said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh, What shall... We not receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? And all this did not Job sin with his lips. Of course, we know the story of Joseph as well. How that his brothers hated him, they want to get rid of him. And through the process of time, we know all the things that he endured and suffered from, the, from starting with his family, going, going to Potiphar and eventually being in prison, all the things he went through. No doubt the devil wanted to use every bit of that to get Joseph to accuse God and blame him and hate God. But what did Joseph do? In Genesis 50 and verse 20, But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring the pass as it is this day to save much people alive. 
God was going to use all these things, bad things that happened to these men and others like them for good. Again, look at the miracles in Scripture of all the people that came to Jesus because of their infirmities and because of their trials, because of all those things. They came to Jesus because of them. It calls them to come to Christ. Look, these people, and many like them in Scripture, have gone through great tragedy. And yet in those tragedies, the devil wants to use them to push them away from God and really cause them to curse God. But instead, instead those people let those times bring them closer to Jesus. So could it be that the evil that the devil wants to bring in our life and does bring from time to time, as he tries to bring it for us to doubt God and doubt his goodness in our life, the Lord wants to use the same things that he tries to bring against us, use the same things to show us how good he really is. I would say yes. Absolutely, God wants to use those same trials that are meant to hurt you and destroy you for your good and for his glory. But for that to happen, we must humble ourselves and bring those cares unto Jesus and seek him. And allow God to bring the good from the evil. So the question, I know the question's a hard one, man. I mean, why, why do bad things happen? It's, it's a hard question to answer. There's really no easy answer to it. But here's the perspective. So we know that evil does not come from God. No, it comes from the devil. And we know that sometimes, yes, God does allow it. Why? Well, for the intention of showing how powerful and strong and good he really is and have you draw closer to him. But look at this perspective. I think this is the perspective that James is trying to paint here. Look at it with me. Let's start in verse number two again. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations, knowing this, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire Wanting nothing. So James gives us a little insight into the purpose behind the trials of life. And here's the purpose. One of them. Just one of many. Just one perspective. One purpose here. That's this one. That ye. He's talking to believers who are going through the ringer. That ye may be. What? Perfect and entire wanting nothing. Now understand the word perfect here does not mean like a sinless perfection. He is not talking about being perfect as we would think perfect today. Like when, uh, uh, like when, when a wife would look at her husband and say, Honey, you're just perfect. Uh, that, that's not the perfection we're talking about, all right? That was a joke. It's okay, ladies. I was just kidding. But uh, we're not talking about that kind of perfection, all right? Rather, when he's talking about perfect here, he's talking about this. For your maturity. For, for, your, for your growth. Understand God desires to grow us. Oh, man. He really does. He, he wants to strengthen us, to mature us. He wants to do this, to strengthen us in the areas in which we are weak and in the areas in which we struggle and the areas in which we need improvement. Let me ask you a question. Anyone here, you're as strong as you need to be. Uh, you are as, as, uh, as strong as you need to be in your faith and in, in, in any, any area in your life. You're as strong as you need to be. You are completely mature in Christ. Anybody? 
If you raise your hand, it's going to say thank you for being with us from heaven. We hope you enjoy your stay. Amen. All right. But uh, No, of course not. We all have room for growth. We all have room to be strengthened in our faith. But often the best way to accomplish this is to allow believers to go through things we would never choose for ourselves. And that's how God will begin to grow us through the trials and and testings of difficult times because those difficult times have a way of stretching us, of growing us. And many times in the Word of God, you can see where believers were going through difficulties and it's in that moment they learn so much more of themselves, sure, but of God. Take, for instance, the disciples in Mark chapter number 6, the disciples, after they fed the 5,000, uh, they were going to go through a terrible storm. They would never chosen this for themselves. But Lord Jesus, being God in his infinite wisdom, knew, knew this is what they needed. Yeah, he, they just saw Jesus do a mighty miracle of feeding 5,000 men, let alone women and children, thousands of people with just a few crackers and a few sardines, all right? But now they need to see something even deeper in their faith and growth in the Lord. And so he sent them out into the storm. And after Jesus came and, and, and calmed the storm and showed them how powerful he really, he really is and who he, and who he really is, his power of creation showing that he's creator, listen to what the Bible says. In Mark chapter 6, verse 51, And he went up into them in the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. <laughs> These guys, listen, to get to this amazing moment through a storm, or through this amazing moment of wondering and knowing who Jesus is, they had to go through a storm. And God grew them through it. They would not have chosen this. Even though they're seasoned sailors, they would never have chosen it. Yet God knew in his wisdom what exactly they needed. Again, Job said this in Job 23 and verse number 10, But he knoweth the way that I take, and when he had tried me, when he had tested me, when he had trialed me, if I can say it that way, he said this, I shall come forth as gold. In this, in this time period, to get the impurities out of the gold, all right? It's going to a goldsmith. What they would do is, of course, they'd put the gold into a cauldron, and uh, they would heat it up and uh, to where the impurities would come to the top of, of that liquid gold, and they would scrape the impurities off. And then they would heat it up some more. More impurities would come to the top, scrape it off. Over a process of time to see when it was actually pure gold is when the goldsmith could see his reflection in that gold. Listen, God allows the heat to be turned up in our life. Why? Well, he wants to see his reflection in us. He wants to see Jesus in us. And that does come through Trials that comes through, as James says, divers temptation. And Job knew this. He knew that when he was tested, tried, he'd come forth as gold. It would make him better through these trials of life. And listen, no one naturally enjoys them. They're not pleasant to endure. They don't feel good. But know this, 
They are absolutely for our good. Romans 8, 28 is still in our Bible. It says this, And we know that all things work together for good. What things? Just the good ones? No. The bad ones too? Well, that's part of all, isn't it? All things. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. He will bring all things for good. Because they will shape us to what God wants us to be and that ultimately is to be in the image of His Son. And knowing this truth, knowing that God is going to work this out, He's going to make me more like gold, as Job said. He's going to make me more into the image of His Son. Knowing this truth, this perspective, that should cause us to have some joy in divers' temptations. Knowing, look at it again, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Let patience have her perfect work, that. You may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Sometimes we've got to go through some things to be more beautiful, at least in the eyes of God. Now, anybody here, let me ask you a question. Anybody here been to uh, either the Grand Canyon or the Badlands in South Dakota? Anybody been? I would really, I really want to go. One day I hope to go, all right? But I hear they're beautiful. And millions of people go see the Grand Canyon. They go see the Badlands. Millions of people go every single year just to observe the beauty of that part of the country. But do you know how they became so beautiful? Do you know how they got their beauty? Their beauty, listen, was shaped with harsh and violent forces of weather. And without going through that violent time those places would never be the awe-inspiring places of beauty that people enjoy today so again be reminded of the perspective that James gives us a little bit here but let patience have her perfect work that she may be perfect and entire wanting wanting nothing and count it a joy because God's going to use it Beyond ways we'd ever imagine. God's going to use those times for our maturity. Use those times for our growth. Use those times to draw us closer to Him and make us more like Him. And because of that, maybe it'll be on the latter end of it, but you can rejoice in it. So through the trial of life, have this perspective. It's just one of many. When you allow God to change your perspective on the trials, it'll help you. It'll help you. Even recently, speaking with someone on this matter of trials and this question of why, and after looking at Scripture and how God allows some of these things in our life for one purpose or another, just simply said, So, you mean I just need to change my perspective? I said, Yes. It'll help you to go through these trials and testings knowing that it's going to work out for your good. And as Paul said in Philippians 1 verse 12, for the furtherance of the gospel 